0: If you're like me, there's a good possibility that you go into those spots where you are very much aware of the lack of spiritual, moral energy in your lives. The things that we think we should do Somehow, we just, I don't have the power to always do them. The things I shouldn't do, sometimes I find always the power to do those, though. You know, I think uh, even the Apostle Paul uh, had that kind of a problem uh, more than once, because this is what he wrote in one of his letters. He said, I do not understand what's wrong with me, because what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I don't want to do, I do it anyway. Well, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian letter, Paul has some good news for himself and some good news for us. Uh, He begins this letter with a prayer. And and by the way, the scripture is not going to be on the... uh, screen today. I got, Claire and I got back from our vacation too late to uh, uh, make arrangements uh, for that. But So if you have your Bibles with you or the Pew Bible out in front of you, if you could turn to the first chapter of Ephesians, I think it's page 1818 in the Pew Bible. Uh, we're going to be reading portions of it, so just leave it open there for the next... Uh, 20 20 minutes or so. Paul, Just a preface here. Paul begins this letter by rejoicing in the fact that the Ephesian people, which were mostly Gentiles, were included in the church. Uh, This was something that was kind of going on in that day, and there were... Uh, some differences of opinion on some of the uh, requirements to become part of a church or not. but Paul is saying, look, we're all under God's umbrella of love and grace and his power. And so he is rejoicing uh, at, at that. Um, and he, so that's how he be- begins the letter with the first 14 verses. And I'm going to start with verse number 15. And what this is, it's a prayer. He, well, he's telling the, these people, this church, where he had spent several years, perhaps more years at the Ephesian church than any of the other churches that he had started in those days. But he, he said, I, I, every time I pray, I think of you. And Paul describes to them, what he prays about for them. For this reason, the fact that they're all under the uh, umbrella of God's love, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you uh, in my prayers. Paul is giving thanks that they understand that God is calling the church to have faith in Christ and equally love for others. That was a radical change of worship in his day. They had been used to more of a ritual type of a worship experience. But Paul is reminding them in this letter, he's reminding something they were already doing, that it has putting their faith in God, in their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son, and yet had a reputation for loving one another. And as we read further in the letter, it becomes clear that this love is not limited just to loving fellow church members or other Christians. But by uh, throughout that letter, he points out that that love goes like the love of Christ, which loved the world so much that he gave everything for it. How easy it is for us not to love one another. (laughs) We almost look for reasons not to at times. Uh, uh, Jonathan Swift once wrote, uh, It seems that we have enough religion to make us hate, but not not enough to make us love one another. The New Testament is full about this necessity of love not only for God, but for one another in our lives. And we, especially we find this in J- John's first letter, the ones, those letters that are right back toward the end of the Bible. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 18, he makes it clear that we really don't love God unless that love is extended to other people also. And let me just read a few verses for you. I'm going to be reading from our fellow Montanans, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, which we call The Message. But this is how he uh, sees these words. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know very well that eternal life and murder just don't go together. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his love for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially uh, for our fellow believers and not just for ourselves. If you see someone in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love there? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love, but let us practice real love. We hear that. But then we say, God, there are so many unlovable people around me. I have trouble. I have trouble loving them. Listen, God knows that. And if we're serious about being able to really love those that drive us up a wall, He will give us the power to do it. Uh, But I'm getting a little bit ahead of my story for this morning at this point. Paul continues his prayer or continues telling them what he's praying about for them. In verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And as we are confronted with this sense of moral and spiritual lack of energy in our lives, here Paul prays that we would be open to the wisdom of God, the wisdom that he is so anxious uh, to give us. And I, for one, need to be reminded that God's ideas and God's ways are far above my ideas and my ways. We remember that Uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 40 where uh, the prophet reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And that his ways and his thoughts are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. But you know I keep slipping into the fact that I might have a good idea that might be better than God's at the moment. But what I'm doing, I'm always setting myself up for failure every time I do that. And so Paul continues uh, this letter and and, uh, he he tells us about the things he wants us to rejoice over and uh, to remember. Uh, that uh, when we believe, believe, and trust in our gracious God, we enjoy a family inheritance that we have not experienced beforehand. It gives us a new power in our lives let 's just listen to it in, in verse uh, eighteen I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In this poetic language, Paul prays that we might catch sight of the hope and assurance that God is calling us into a reality that we are now part of his family. Later on, he talks about the adoption process of God adopting us in his family. And he wants us to experience the inheritance of being the adopted children of God. As we become members of that family, and part of that adoption experience is to sense the power of the Spirit of God just coursing through our veins because we're part of that family circle. Years ago, American Express had a TV ad, and the tagline for that ad each time was, Membership has its privilege. Uh, When I was in college, throughout my college years, my summer job was being a serviceman for the pools, swimming pools, of the wealthy people in southeastern Pennsylvania and on into Delaware. Now, there were several of us that were service people, and I, I only had 20 of them on my, on my pool that I had to, visit, uh, had to visit the pools twice a week. And let me tell you, <laughs> there were some pools I was the only one that was in them all summer long. They were off into Europe or someplace like that. But, but that was my job. And one of the pools that I had was uh, part of the DuPont family in Delaware and, and on a DuPont estate. Well, one, my, one day my responsibility was to go to clean up the DuPont pool after a wild weekend party they had. And it must have been wild because it was a mess. There were There was expensive silverware at the bottom of the pool. There was... Uh, broken uh, martini and champagne glasses all over the place. And uh, it was such a mess that it took me far more than the allotted time of the the service contract. But one of the DuPont boys about my age took pity on me, and he helped me. But even then, it was quite late in the day when uh, we got done. And he said, Dan, tell you what, let's go down to the country club for a steak dinner. Uh, Well, let me remind you, and I had to remind him that my uh, uniform as a pool service service person uh, was a t-shirt, swimming trunks, and sneaks. And I said, I don't think that this is appropriate clothing for the country club and he says not to worry we're about the same size let's go take a shower and I'll give you a shirt and a pair of pants and we're good to go well I did and then I remembered that I didn't have very much money with me not even enough to pay for the appetizer let alone the full steak dinner at the DuPont Country Club. And I told him so, and he turned to me and he said, neither do I, but remember, I'm a DuPont. And for the first time in my young life, I came face to face with the fact that membership in some families has privilege. And I only wish that I had the communication skills to convey to you the scope of the privileges that are available to everyone who says yes to the uh, invitation to become adopted into the family of God. There is let loose to our availability Power that can indeed transform us to become absolutely new creatures. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And that, my friends, is one powerful amount of energy. Paul writes about that in the following verses, beginning with the uh, second part of verse 19 and continuing on through verse 21. Listen to what he says about this new strength. He says, "'That power is like like the working of his,' that is, God's, mighty strength, "'which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead "'and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms.'" far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Remember, the availability of this power is directly related to our being open to God's wisdom and the desire to understand his agenda for our lives. Here it is. When Jesus Christ walked the earth, he lived through every kind of experience that you and I ever had the good, the bad, the easy, the hard. Jesus, in his life, was confronted by experiences similar to those that you and I have. And in doing so, he has overcome the obstacles and temptations that might be snares for us. And now he offers us that power that he had, that same kind of life can be lived all over again in and through the lives of you and me. That source of the supply of power will never run dry, though I need to be reminded of that time and time again. How quickly it is for me to take up the old way of life, slipping back into that mode of depending upon my own wiles and Uh, puny strength in order to cope and how quickly I fail again. I shudder to think about the many times that as a pastor, as a husband, as a father and as a friend I have missed the mark of God's design in these areas. But what I'm glad about I'm not proud of those things, but I am glad that God doesn't give up on us. In finishing this prayer, Paul shares the thought that the fullness of God's power, which was seen in Christ, is given to every individual and is given to every congregation and is given to every church to be open to receiving that power to do what God is asking them to do, asking us to do. He said, And God has put all things under Christ's feet and made him the supreme head of the church, which is his body, filled with himself the author and giver of everything, everywhere. Please remember this. For better or for worse, you and I who call ourselves Christians are all the Christ some people in this world are going to see. And for many of them, these folks are not going to get a very clear picture of Christ in me. I know that. But here again in chapter 1, Paul has not only given encouragement to me, encouragement to you, encouragement to every congregation, every church, Describing the church as the body of Christ. And what a powerful picture that is. As we see ourselves as part of that body. As this congregation sees its place as part of that body. And as other congregations in Bozeman, in Gallatin County, in Montana, in the United States, and throughout the world, sees their part of being that body. And here, the truth of God's love and forgiveness becomes not only God's agenda, but becomes our agenda too. Because he is the head who lives that kind of love and is filled with that kind of love. And he is directing us, the hands and feet, whatever part of body we are, to be that kind of love in this world that so sorely needs it. With Christ to head the church, you and I are called to be his hands, his feet, and his voice here on earth. And as if the Spirit of God is seeking somebody well, to become an expression of God's love, just as Jesus was and did while he was here on earth. And you know, that's a powerful thought, that God trusts us enough for that. And in this prayer that we have thought together this morning for these few moments, it becomes clear that to be the kind of church God wants us to be To be the body he wants us to be. To be the individual person that he wants us to be. We will never become that without leaning upon God's wisdom, his hope, his assurance, and his power to become that body. God trusts us to do that. Peter Arnett uh, was a television commentator and uh, uh, newscaster for years and years, working for several different networks. Some of you with a long memory might remember this uh, story that I'm about to share. Uh, But uh, Peter Arnett shared this story with my friend, uh, Tony Campolo, he, my friend and classmate in uh, college and in seminary. And this is what he told uh, Tony that day. He said, Tony, not long ago, I was in Israel in a small town on the West Bank. And this was during the Israeli, one of the Israeli-Palestinian uprisings several years ago now. And he said, while I was there, a terrible explosion went off and bodies were blown through the air. Everywhere I looked, there was signs of death and destruction. The screams of the wounded and the dying were coming from every direction. And then a man came running up to me, holding a bloodied little girl in his arms. And he looked at me. And he looked at the credentials that I had to wear around my neck uh, as part of the press there. And he pleaded with me and said, "Mr, I can't get her to the hospital. The Israeli troops have sealed off this entire area, and nobody can come in and to go out. But Mr, you are press. You're American press." You can get out. Please, mister, please help me get this little girl to the hospital. Please, if you don't help me, she's going to die. And Peter told how he put them in his car, and he got through the sealed area and rushed to the hospital in Jerusalem. And the whole time that he was hurtling down the road to the city, The man was in the back seat pleading with him, Can't you go any faster, mister? Please, can't you hurry? I'm losing her. I'm losing her. And when they finally got to the hospital, the little girl was rushed to the operating room almost immediately. And then Peter Arnett and his friend went to the waiting room and sat on a bench, They didn't say anything. There was nothing to be said at that moment. So they sat there in silence, exhausted even too much to talk. And after a short while the doctor came out of the operating room and went to them and said solemnly, "We did everything we could, but she's gone." She died. And then the man just collapsed in tears. And as Peter Arnett put his arms around his shoulder to try to comfort him, he said, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine what it what you must be going through. I never lost a child of mine. And the man looked at Peter in a startled manner, and he said, Oh, mister, that Palestinian girl was not my daughter. I'm an Israeli settler, and this, that Palestinian girl is not my child. But, mister, there comes a time when each of us must realize that every child, regardless of that child's background, is a daughter or a son, And there must come a time when we realize that we're all family. And when I read that story that Tony Campolo included in one of his books, I saw all the more clearly why Jesus came into this world with love as his weapon. He came to break down the partitions and the walls that we've constructed that separate us into various squabbling groups. He came to make us one family. He calls us his church, his body, not only to teach this, but to live this and to live it out by his power. And to say that the church is the body of Christ means that God is counting on us in such a way that the world can see Jesus in the flesh once again. We need to remember that we've been called to love God with everything that is within us and to love one another as we love ourselves. And here's the amazing thing. God trusts us enough to do that. But we need to know it is God who's going to give us the power to do it. And when we, when we experience that power most fully in our lives, it will always be when we take our focus upon the problems and how great they are and take our focus away from our personal frustrations and take our focus away from our forgetting about where the real power is, if we turn from that and turn toward the source of the power, we're going to be feeling that strength once again. And I thank God for that. It's like turn your eyes upon Jesus, you know, look full in his wondrous face, And all of a sudden, the things of this world will grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Amen. Uh, There are a few announcements.